Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Lexanero Leader and Kentucky.com. It is Thursday, September the 8th, 2022, and a couple days from now, big game down at the Swamp in Gainesville, number 12 Florida against number 20 Kentucky, a key SEC East matchup. Kentucky's coming off their 37-13 win over Miami of Ohio last week, and Florida coming off a huge win, 29-26 over then number 7 Utah down in the swamp, the start of the Billy Napier era. Uh, they had a record crowd at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, a record for an opener for Florida. So you know they are very excited about the Gators, and they jumped all the way up uh, from being unranked to number 12 in the AP College Football Poll on Monday. It's a 7 o'clock start on ESPN. No streaming this week. You get it on the big channel, on the big ESPN channel at 7 o'clock on Saturday. Joe Tessitore. Greg McElroy and Katie George are the broadcast team for the for the Kentucky Florida game on Saturday. To help preview the game, I talk with Matt Hayes, who writes for Saturday Down South. He's actually the national writer for the uh, vertical of uh, tradition vertical. Uh, he's been he's a Florida guy. He's covered the Gators. He's been he's there in Florida. He's got his finger on the pulse of what's going on in Gainesville. Uh, great guy to talk to about college football in general and especially about Florida. We talk with him, and then to get the Kentucky side of things, I talk with my friend and colleague. John Hale of the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com about what's going on with Mark Stoops' team as they get ready to travel down to Gainesville. Remember, this podcast is brought to you by the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Go to go, hit go to Kentucky.com, hit on that subscription button, check out all the subscription offers for Kentucky.com, digital subscriptions, and if you want a print subscription to the Lexington Herald Leader, when Quick reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. So now that that's out of the way, let's get right to it. My conversation first with Matt Hayes of Saturday Down South. And then after that, you'll hear from John Hale of the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Okay, my guest on the podcast is my old friend, good friend, Matt Hayes, who writes for Saturday Down South and various other publications and his own radio show. We'll get into all that uh, at the end. Matt, how's it going? It's going great, John. How are you? The season has begun, and uh, we've already got a lot of crazy going on. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, so it makes college football fun, the crazy going on. Uh, right. Cats and Gators, Saturday night in the swamp, 7 o'clock on ESPN. Uh, Matt, you're down there in Florida. You've covered and followed Florida for years. What should we make of this? I know it's only one game, but a big win over Utah. What should we make of this Florida team? Uh, I think it was a good win, John, but, I mean, you – you cover this sport long enough to realize you can never get too high or too low, especially with these. You're talking about 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kids that could – who knows what's going to happen in their life during the week. Um, I, I, I still think they are what they are. Um, I think they played really well, and they have a really talented quarterback that if he's on and he's playing well, you know, they've got a chance to beat a majority of the teams in their schedule. But they're very limited right now as far as depth. They, if they get some injuries, John, they've got problems. They're, they're – their offensive line is terrific, and I think that's what they're going to they're going to build behind. They've got three three pretty good backs. They've got uh, Travis Etienne's little brother Trevor, who I think is probably the best of the three. He's a true freshman there. Um, they don't really have any receivers that are going to scare defenses, and that's going to be an issue at some point as well. Um, so once they once they go up against a team that can stop the run or at least control them a little bit and and make them throw the ball, it's not that. Richardson can't throw it, which I think he's already proven he can. 
I don't know that they have the guys on the outside, John, that can win on the outside really? and, and can get off and can get off bump coverage. So that's going to be a problem for them. And like I said, they're not deep. So if they get an injury or, or if, you know, you know, they start to get tired, like you saw in that second half of the Utah game where Utah basically just lined up and ran it like 14 of 17 plays and was just gouging them. Right. Um, that can be a problem for them as well. So I, I, I guess long story short, I think they're very happy, obviously, with the win. And, and, you know, the first game with Billy and Aper in a, in a rebuilding process there. But they've, I mean, they got a long way to go. They, they've got issues that they got to fix. There's no doubt about that. Well, what about, you mentioned Richardson. What about Anthony Richardson? I mean, we'd seen glimpses of him. We kept hearing about how athletic he was. He was an athletic freak, uh, le- kind of learning to play quarterback or whatever. I mean, obviously very effective in the game against Utah, you know, uh, Rushed for over 100 yards as well as, uh, you know, as you said, uh, threw the ball pretty well. What about him? You know, I think as much as anything, John, it's it's guys sometimes just need another year, just need a little time to grow into not only into their bodies, his body was fine, but into, you know, mentally into the game and understanding it and processing it. And I think he needed that. Um, he's also got three different people coaching. Billy Napier is the, is the quarterback's coach, the play caller, um, the offensive coordinator and Rob Sal is their offensive coordinator, but Billy Neighbors are offensive coordinator. He's everything. He's like, you know, he's like a Jimbo Fisher type coach. Um, I, I, I would say that he's, you know, they also have an analyst right now, Ryan O'Hara, who's done a lot of really good work with him. He's got three different people coaching him right now, which I think is really good. Three different people looking at everything from his mechanics to his release, um, to the way he processes things. And he's really grown in the last you know, seven, eight months. Um, he's a different player. There's no doubt about it. He's more confident out there. His release is much more quicker. It's tighter. Um, the ball gets out quick. And he's, I mean, you see the velocity. I mean, it's obvious there. And you know what he can do with his legs. So I think it was just a matter of, of once he got comfortable with being a thrower and being a guy that would start make a play and he can make that play with his arm, then you're going to see, wow, this guy is going to be a problem for people. And right now I think that's where he is. Doesn't mean he won't have bad games, which I'm sure he will have a bad game. Everybody does. Right. Um, he will come up against a defense that's going to find a way to scheme against him. And and my guess is it's going to be a defense that's just going to load the box and say, we have to stop the run. And we're going to play tight on those guys on the outside. And if they beat us, then they beat us. Because, again, they don't really have any deep speed on the outside. Um, I, I think their, their, their slot guy, the kid from Arizona State. Pearsall. He's a, de- Pearsall. He's, he's a, he's a decent player, but he's not a – I mean, we saw him that game. He didn't run anything vertical the entire game. He was running drags the whole game. So I, I don't know that they've got anybody that's going to stress you. And if that if that's the case, you know, then you just sit with your safeties and you just roll them up a little bit, and all of a sudden it's a lot shorter field for him to throw the ball. Um, you know, then you've got to see if can one of those guys wins. That's kind of where they are right now offensively. What about what about defensively? You mentioned a little or a little earlier about Utah came out, especially in the second half. So we're just going to run it down your throat, and they had success doing that. It, what were the expectations for this Florida defense? Well, I think again, it's not it's not unlike the first, the offense. It's they they're very happy with their first twenty two, John. Uh, I think after that, there's issues. They, they're uh, I had one assistant there tell me that there are guys on that roster that probably shouldn't be on that roster mm-hmm. when they got there. And, and that's that's recruiting. That's why Dan Mullen lost his job, even though he took him to three um, near six bowls in four in four years. He lost his job because he wasn't recruiting. They didn't have players. Players win games, and and their roster is really thin right now. Um, so it's going to take a year, two years 
for, for Billy Napier to, to build it back up, and not only through recruiting, but through the transfer portal as well. And, and I, I, I don't think – here's another thing too, John. I think they're happy with their first team guys on defense, but I don't know how many of those guys are actually dudes, guys that you know can literally make plays. I, you know, I think Dexter in the middle is a guy they think can be that type of player. He's kind of been off and on. Brenton Cox, another one's off and on guys. Um, in the secondary, Marshall's a terrific player. He's probably the best player on the team, other than Richardson. Um, but they're they're just they've got a lot of guys that I think on that first unit that are good guys. I'm not sure they're like guys that are going to take control of the game. Um, they've got some young players that I think are going to be really good. A freshman Shamar James, the linebacker, I think is going to be really good. Um, Kamari Wilson, the safety they have, another freshman is going to be good. But again, these are young dudes that have to like experience it and. You're talking about week two against a very physical Kentucky team. So it's it's going to be interesting. I can tell you this, John. If Chris Rodriguez was playing, this would be a completely different game. I don't think he's playing. <laughs> he wasn't on the depth chart. I, th- I don't think we're going to see Chris Rodriguez for a while. Uh, but that's <laughs> that's all another subject. Uh, okay, right. Billy, Billy, Nate, <laughs> no, go, uh, go ahead. No, no, I just said, yeah, no, I know. I, I mean, it's it's just interesting to me that, you know, I mean, you get a DUI as a player, and you're out, and you get a DUI as an assistant coach, and you're coaching on the field week one. So it's just <laughs> well, odd to me, that's all. There's more going on than just the DUI. No, I know that. There, no, there, I know that. There are other, other factors involved as well. Uh, but anyway, okay, Billy Napier. Uh, as you mentioned, it, it all went south pretty quickly for Dan Mullen. Uh, Billy Napier's now the guy. Is he the guy? Is I mean, I like Billy Napier. I like what he did in Louisiana. I like his background. What do you think of him? Is he the guy that's going to get it? get Florida back to be in Florida again. You know, it's interesting, John. So, so I've been around this program. I started covering in the mid nineties for the local Jacksonville paper. When you were covering, when you were covering for the, for the Lexington paper, we right. started around the same time. Um, I don't think they've ever had a coach like this. Really? And, and, and I'll explain it to you this way. He's a very measured guy. He's a very measured and detailed guy. He never gets too high. You never see him get crazy. You never see him calling any other coach out. You never see him do, you know, just like crazy stuff. They haven't had that. If you think about this now, so they had Mullen. Before Mullen, they had McElwain, who, you know, shark the shark guy and the right. whether it was whether it was him or not, and the you know, the lights death threats and then you've got Muschamp, who I love, but Muschamp's you know, he's a wild dude. He's right. a wild guy. You know, then you've got Irvin Meyer. We all know about Herb. Then, then you got Sprayer, who said what he wanted to say. Right. I mean, they, they literally have not had a guy that's just measured, and this is what we're going to do. This is our plan. If you guys figure out the plan, you believe and trust in the plan, guess what? We're going to win games. And it's just – I think it's unique at that point that, that he's, he's a guy that doesn't panic. Like in June, the fan base, John, I mean, you wouldn't have believed it. So, I mean, so – you know, I, I have a weekly radio show, show in Jacksonville from 12 to 3, and, man, people are calling and panicking that Florida's getting beat on recruits. I thought this guy, his whole thing was about recruiting. We have the, you know, the 30th, whatever it was, ranked class. What's going on? And he actually had to write a letter, like a public letter of, hey, don't worry. We know what we're doing here, which to me was just, like, amazing. He's been on the job for, like, six, seven months, and he's got to write an open letter to the fans saying, we know what we're doing here. Don't worry. And then meanwhile, two weeks later, when July starts, he starts picking off four stars everywhere. He starts turning guys from Alabama and turning a guy from Georgia. And now all of a sudden they've got the number 10 ranked class in the country. Now all of a sudden the fans love, you know how fans are, but especially, you know, this, this fan base is ridiculous. And, and they're just, uh, they're just a little nutty. And I think they're going to have to kind of come to grips with the fact that their coach is not like that. 
Right. He's not an emotional guy. He's not going to go over the edge. He's very measured. I keep using that word because I think that's the best word for him. He's very measured in his approach and what he does and his process. And I, I don't, they haven't had anyone like that. I think it's hard for them right now to kind of adjust to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, have to, I mean, if you go by his track record and I mean, under Saban, under Sweeney, I mean, and, uh, uh, He's, you know, I think, and obviously they're off to a good start. Uh, what, what about the rest of the SEC? I know we've only been through one week. I know Vandy's played two games, but uh, what what impressed you? I know you wrote that this Georgia team could be better than the national championship team last year. You know what's interesting, John? I'm going to write this later in the week. Uh, um, if think about this now, okay? We saw Anthony Richardson's two point conversion that pump fake and right. And it was phenomenal. Okay, I think they, I think they played it on ESPN as about nearly as many times as they played the Jadavian Clowney hit on the Michigan kid. <laughs> um, but think about this now, okay? Think about this, and I'm being dead serious here. Okay, I'm going to write about this later this week too. It, it, Stetson Bennett, what he did against Georgia, on that scramble and then getting away from the rush and throwing and, and circling back to the left side and throwing that ball, right? And hitting Lad McConkey for the touchdown. If that was Anthony Richardson or Bryce Young, or C.J. Stroud, or even Will Levis for that matter. Imagine how crazy ESPN would have been about that, right? It would have been, oh, my God, look at this throw. But the fact that it's little 5'10", 180-pound Stetson Bennett, who's just along for the ride at Georgia, and their great defense, and all he's doing is trying not to screw it up, you know, and then it's no big deal. He, what he did in that game against Oregon, if I'm, if I'm a defensive coordinator in the SEC or, or college football for that matter, I'm thinking – We've got big problems because he throws on time now. He throws with accuracy. He throws a really pretty deep ball. And that offense now, they do things that they couldn't do in the past. Like you're going to see Munkin call different games now because they can do things they couldn't do in previous years with Stetson. So to me, I, I, look, if they're 13-0, and John, and I think their defense is really good. They're really good. They've got guys that can run just like last year. They get to 12-0 and or 13-0. and He's winning the Heisman, man. He is going to win the Heisman. <laughs> whether people want to hear it, whether people like it, because if they're 13-0, and 0, he's going to have 30-plus touchdowns, and it's going to be because of the offense and the defense, not just the defense. Yeah, well, no, they look they look very impressive. They're impressive. Yeah, he had, he had a great game, no doubt about it. Okay, Matt, before I let you go, what, what's going to happen Saturday night? Not asking for prediction, but what kind of game are you expecting Saturday in the Swamp? I'm expecting a team – that and this is no by no fault of Billy Napier, even by the team itself. You you got to learn how to handle success, and right. it's gonna. There's a natural letdown. There's no doubt about it. I'm expecting a fourth quarter grinder, man. I mean, I I mean, I'm looking at like a twenty to seventeen type game. Again, if Chris Rodriguez was playing, it would be a different game. I would actually be tempted to pick Kentucky if he was playing, but I I, I don't know that Kentucky can run on them right. um, without him. Can run consistently, but again. I love Mark Stoops. I love the way he coaches, and his teams are tough. And that's what you're going to have to have in a game like this. You're, you're, you're going to face a team that's going to have a natural letdown. And if you are a physical team that can stand there in the line, on the line of scrimmage and trade blows, you've got a very good chance of winning that game. Yeah. I agree. I think it's going to be a grinded out fourth quarter game. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Okay, Matt, now it's your time. Plug everything you're doing because I know you're doing a bunch of stuff. And where, where can people find you online and on the radio? Okay, so you can find me writing at it's the 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 website is is all under the umbrella of Saturday football. So it's Saturday on South, which is SEC specific, Saturday Tradition, which is Big Ten specific, 
uh, Saturday Roads, which is ACC specific, and Saturday Out West, which is Pac-12 specific. So I'm a national writer for all of those all of those verticals, as well as you can listen to me from 12 to 3 on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Uh, every day we talk, we are the, the flagship of the Jaguars and the Gators, so we just talk football, man. Even even like during the summer or during baseball season or basketball season, it's all football, man. <laughs> and, and Matt is Mr. Football. He's the guy that he's the go-to guy for football, not just uh, south but across the country. Uh, I, I enjoy reading his stuff. He, he does a great job. He's done a great job for a long time. Matt, great to get you on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks again. Thank you, John. It's my pleasure. Anytime. Hey, one more thing. Where, where can they find you on Twitter? You didn't give your Twitter. Oh, it's it's at Matt Hayes, M-A-T-T-H-A-Y-E-S-C-F-B, college football, at Matt Hayes, C-F-B. That t- says it all right there, Matt Hayes, college football. Thanks again, Matt. Appreciate it. Okay, John. Have a good day. Okay, my guest now on the podcast is my friend and colleague at the Herald-Leader who covers UK football, John Hale. How's it going, John? It's good. How are you? Game number two. I'm good. Game number two, first row game, first SEC game, a big game for Kentucky uh, down in the swamp on Saturday. Uh, I guess the first question is, how big a game is this? I think it's it's kind of hard to overstate how big it is. Obviously, now, all now, summer. Now, John, the top- one game at a time. One <laughs> at a time. No, go ahead. But it's it's the biggest game is the next game, and it is the next game. Well, so, that's right. There, there you go. go. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, all summer the talk was, you know, just reaching bowl games is not enough anymore. Kentucky made it very clear, you know, back in July at SEC Media Days that they think they're a legitimate contender in the East and they want to make it to Atlanta for the SEC championship game. And after the first weekend of games, I don't know that any of us are thinking that that's realistic given how good Georgia looked against Oregon. That gap seems pretty large still. But if you have dreams of pushing Georgia, you basically have to win on Saturday because I don't think you can count on Georgia stumbling anywhere else and you've got to control your own destiny. So whoever wins this game, um, I think you put them in a tier with maybe Tennessee as the, as the contenders to, to best push Georgia, even if none of them actually are going to do it. And so that, that part of it's huge. I counted it today. It's just the, I think the ninth Kentucky football game in the regular season between ranked teams since 1978. So really? like that doesn't happen very often. Wow. They haven't they haven't won a regular season game where both teams were ranked since uh, the LSU game in 2007 when they beat number one LSU. So I mean, it's just like the eyes of the college football world, especially at a point in the season where so many teams are playing, you know mid-major non-conference level games are going to be on Gainesville on, on Saturday nights on ESPN. It's going to be a huge chance for Mark Stoops and his program to go out and prove all this preseason hype was real because if they lose, they'll drop out of the top 25 probably. And then, uh, you know, there will be weeks and weeks of them trying to like claw their way back into the national picture. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Uh, question number two, uh, no Chris Rodriguez again this Saturday. Kentucky only rushed for 50 yards and that 50 yards last week. Plus, uh, Ramon Jefferson is out with the out for the year with a torn ACL. Jutan McLean is also injured. Pretty thin running back room. Uh, how is that all going to shake out Saturday? And how important is that that Kentucky does have a thin running back room coming into this game? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely worrisome, um, especially because the two guys they're counting on now, Colossier Smoke, who I thought was fine in the opener. I know he got a, a lot of criticism from some fans I saw, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily see anything he did wrong. They just didn't run it very often. 
Right. And then Lavelle Wright, who's the new backup, both of those guys have battled injuries throughout their careers here. I mean, Wright was injured in camp. Smoke, we know, has been in and out of availability basically his whole time at Kentucky. Um, so they're not the most durable guys themselves, which you know adds more concern to it. I'm interested to see. I mean, I think they have to mount a competent rushing attack to have a chance this weekend. The biggest factor for me is is how much do they run Will Levis? Because, you know, Rich Gangarello was pretty open, you know, surprisingly open in some ways after the Miami game about how much he held back of the offense. And Will Levis basically said that, you know, Scangarello had been talking about this Florida game for months at this point, but way back in the summer. So I assume they held some of that out in the opener because Will didn't really run at all except that one uh, scramble he had where he, you know, he tried to run through a guy. Um and so it, I, I don't really know if that was gamesmanship in terms of they don't want Florida to see what they do in this offense or if Scangarello legitimately doesn't want to run Will Levis that much because he, you know, he's so important to this team. He doesn't want to put him at risk by taking more hits. I mean, he's an NFL guy, and, and we know a lot of NFL quarterbacks don't run for that very reason. And, and we know that the backup situation at Kentucky is dire at quarterback. They cannot afford to you lose Will Levis. I, I assume he'll run some this weekend. But I would be surprised if at any point this year we see him, you know, run like he did in that Louisville game, for instance. It just doesn't seem to be what Skangarella wants. So, but when you're so short on running backs, maybe they don't have any other choice. Yeah, I mean, it's a yeah, it's kind of a uh, you know catch twenty two situation. You may need him to help your running game, but you don't want to get him hurt in the running game, obviously. And yeah, I don't think Skangarella wants him to be a zone read type quarterback uh, unless they have unless they have to do that, and it's taking a big chance. Uh, that leads us to question number three, which is the offensive line, which would, did not perform very well against Miami. Now you're going up against the Florida defense, although they did not have a sack against Utah. Utah you know, has a really good offense, so I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, and some shuffling on the offensive line. Dave Wollaball started at left tackle last week. Now he's the number two right tackle. They moved Kenneth Horsey from guard out to tackle, starting at left tackle. Jagger Burton will start again at left guard. Uh, to me, it's not the kind of game you want to go into with a reshuffled offensive line, but I guess they had no choice after Miami. How do you see the offensive line situation? Yeah, it's it's a concern, uh, obviously. Um, I know you and I had talked about it after one of the scrimmages that, you know, with all this talk about the left tackle spot, that it felt like they were going to end up moving Horsey there. And then he was hurt for basically all of camp, so he didn't get to play and they didn't get to experiment with that. That, to me, is as worrisome as anything. I think he could be fine there and, and hold it, hold his own, especially if you leave an extra tight end or running back in to help block whatever. That, that, can, that can help. Zach Yenzer, the offensive line coach, told us this week that the the assignments actually aren't that different in this offense between the tackles and guards. So he shouldn't have that big of an adjustment, but he was out for all of camp. So it's not like they've had any time to experiment with this. And we keep hearing about continuity and cohesion and, you know, the group of linemen who were playing together in the opener basically never played together at all in camp because, you know, also Tayshawn Manning was out for a while and Jeremy Flax was out for a while. And um, that's not going to be proved, you know, improved any. I mean, I assume they're getting practice reps this week, but this group of five that we're going to see with, with Horsey at tackle hasn't played together very much either. And so how big a concern is that? He did play some tackle in the Citrus Bowl last year to pretty mixed results obviously the offensive line overall struggled in that game i don't know how much of that was specifically on him uh but you know he's the rest option until i think Deontay goodwin 
gets up to game speed. That that to me feels like what they're trying to do here is just tread water until they're comfortable putting Goodwin in the game. And you know that happened with Landon Young his freshman year as a right. five star guy. Uh, Cole Mosier got hurt um, after the first game. Young did not play at all in the opener, and then they threw him into the fire at Florida in week two. And Kentucky got absolutely destroyed that day. And Landon <laughs> held his held his own for a freshman, but it was certainly not the circumstance you want. And I don't think they want to do that with Goodwin this week either. No, no, no. But I, no, I agree with you, especially after talking when we talked to uh, Zach Enter. That's what it sounds like to me. I've heard some scuttlebutt about that they might even try Burton at tackle, but they don't want. This is not the game to try him at tackle uh, when you're going into the swamp. A guy who's basically, I know he's a retro freshman, but he's basically a new guy. Uh, but I think that from what I understand, they feel like he could play tackle. But I think Goodwin is the number one option, but just not right now. Uh, you, know, you want to throw a true freshman into it against Florida, you know, on the road. Uh, for sure. What about on the defensive side of the ball for Kentucky? Obviously, Anthony Richardson is is the guy for Florida. They're a very athletic quarterback who had a heck of a game against Utah. First of all, how did you think Kentucky's defense played against Miami? And what what are your thoughts about them going up against Florida? I, I thought the defense overall was fine in the opener. It, it's funny in these games where they start off slow, and obviously Miami had that long drive to start the game. Everybody gets in kind of a negative mindset no matter what happens from then. You know, people yeah. think that they played badly, but the defense was, was pretty good afterwards. I, I did think it was a little concerning that the defensive line didn't appear to get a lot of push, wasn't in the backfield a lot against a MAC team. How are they going to do against a legitimate SEC team? That's that's a question for me. But they have so much experience on that side with those linebackers and guys in the secondary that I feel like they should not be you know concerned about the moment or being too too worried about that. But they're going to need some of those freshmen to play big roles this week. And whether it's Deion Walker on the defensive line or Alex Safari, the guy I think really is important, especially against Richardson this week, because he just has the body type at that nickel medium position where he can play in coverage, but he's also really, really big. I mean, he's basically as big as a linebacker, so that could be really important when Richardson, you know, tucks it and runs a little bit. Um, I think it's one of those games where he's going to get his, he's going to have a couple big runs and you're just going to have to live with it. And we keep, we've talked so many times over the years about Kentucky's issues with dual threat quarterbacks and Mark Stoops would remind you that every team has problems with dual threat quarterbacks. I think Richardson still has a lot to improve that he can do the throwing part of dual threat, but uh, I expect he's going to make some frustrating plays with his legs this week, and, and you just got to hope you can land them and everywhere else. Yeah, I think they'll. I think the game plan will be that we're going to try and make Richardson throw. We're going to try and yeah. we're, we're, you know Florida ran the ball very effectively against Utah, and I thought they look like they, you know they're a better running team than were the last couple of years under Mullen. That that's what Billy Napier wants to do. So I think I wouldn't surprise me if they stack the box. And try to make you know uh, okay. Let's see if you can beat us uh, throwing the ball. If you consistent enough, if Anthony Richardson's consistent enough throwing the ball to beat us. You wrote about Afari this week. I mean, he had a heck of a uh, first game for a true freshman, wasn't he? I think second in tackles, and uh, uh, I mean, he 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 really made a statement right off the bat. He's a kid that they talked about a lot during camp, but he kind of backed it up in that first game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first day of camp on media day. Mark Stoops and Brad White basically said he's got to play. We got to find a way to get him out there and, and scheme in a way to where we can make up for any sort of inexperience he has early in the season. And uh, early in that game, he made a couple of big plays. He made some really nice tackles in, in space, which is going to be important this week. He had I think one and a half tackles for loss and a sack. Uh, so it's definitely 
uh, exciting, I think, for Kentucky to see him play that way. But, you know, even if you want to throw in Keaton Wade, who had a big third down stop, and, and Walker, who had a couple plays, but apparently maybe did some things we can't see with the naked eye that they weren't super thrilled about. But Afari, I thought, of those freshmen was was definitely the most impactful. And um, I know that it, it's weird, the depth chart. I think we talked about this last week that Mark just likes to use it however he wants to. And, and they listed Keaton Smith as the starter at corner and Andrew Phillips as the starter at nickel. Well, in the actual game, Phillips started at corner. and uh, and But then it felt like uh, most of the game when they were at their best, Smith was the corner and Afari was the nickel. So... We'll see how they mix and match there, but um, I think they played Afari a lot more than they expected to in in the opener. And playing in the swamps different than playing Miami of Ohio in front of a friendly crowd. But I I would be surprised to see his role diminish as the season goes on. I think he's just going to keep playing more. Well, what about the mental aspect of this game? Kentucky lost as we've, as as we all famously know, thirty one in a row to Florida. They had not beaten Florida down in Gainesville till seventy nine uh, since nineteen seventy nine when they beat them in two thousand eighteen. Since then, they're two and two against Florida over the last four years. You could easily make the case they could could have been three and one. Uh, that game at uh, uh, at Kroger Field a couple of years ago with the controversial call at the end of the game, uh, that sort of thing. I mean, I feel like this Kentucky team feels like it can, you know, it believes it can play with Florida, but Florida has a new coach. They're coming off a big win. They had set a record for their crowd last week. Uh, I mean, what what do you think the belief level of this Kentucky team is going in, going into Gainesville? I actually think mentally this week has played out for the best case scenario for Mark Stoops. I mean, I mean, clearly with young guys in the swamp, you just don't know how they're going to respond until they go down there. It's sold out again. I think I saw today. So that's going to be a huge environment. People excited about the Billy Napier era. But this Kentucky program thrives off being the underdog. And all summer, everybody was telling me how good they were. And Mark Stoops even said after the opener that he felt like they were a little flat and didn't have their normal edge. Well, now this week, everybody's picking Florida again after what they did against Utah. Roman Harper came out on the SEC network and said it was going to be an easy win. He thought Kentucky was soft and Vince Marrow's apparently circulating that around the locker room, making sure everybody's seen it. So they get to play the no respect card again this week. And I think there, there's always a danger of putting too much on one game. And we joked at the beginning about, you know, every game matters and no game's bigger than the other. And there's some truth to that when you're a coach that you're worried about guys putting too much pressure on themselves. But I feel like Kentucky, their players are a confident, like you said, that they can beat Florida because they've done it before, but B also feel like they have something to prove this week, which is a pretty nice combination, whether that's enough to win. I don't know, but I think that mentally it sets up a nice spot with how they generally respond in these games. Yeah. We were recording this on Thursday morning after practice uh, last night, Wednesday night, which we talked to the defensive coaches and players and JJ Weaver, uh, brought it up about that Florida was bad-mouthing them. And though he said the players were talking. I don't know if that's true. But I know the SEC uh, – yeah, what was said on the SEC network, I think by a couple of guys, was circulated among the players. So, yeah, they don't miss a chance to have a – to put a chip on their shoulder. <laughs> no, for thing. sure. And, um, yeah, for as much as Mark at the beginning of the week, somebody asked him, you know, how important is this game? And he said, what do you want me to do? Just like pack it in after it's over if we lose or whatever. Well, I talked to Jock West Jones yesterday and asked him the same question. He said, well, you hate to say it, but this, this game is going to be the tell for the whole season. <laughs> and so yeah. like, well, I mean, it's clear the players know. And as much as Mark wants to downplay that, 
it's in their minds and, and they're thinking about it too. Yeah, I mean, if you win, you get a big confidence boost. Plus, you got a, a key win in the SEC East. You lose, you're you're chasing wins the rest of the year. You're trying to make up for that loss and hope that Florida stumbles uh, down the road. When you've got you know you've got tough games, you got Tennessee down the road, and obviously Georgia. Uh, you know, as far as teams in the East. So, what does Kentucky have to do on Saturday to get the win at the Swamp? I mean, I think Will Levis has to have a huge game uh, because he's the best player, and, and to win these kind of games, your best player has to play like that. I mean, I think the freshmen, especially those two receivers, Barry and Brown and uh, and Dan Key, can't be overwhelmed by the moment. Uh, that's going to – or the environment, the atmosphere. It's hard to imagine them winning without those guys playing key roles. And, you know, the offensive line's got to be better than it was not in, in the opener. I'm, I think that Kentucky's defense is good enough to keep this within reach, um, mostly because I'm still a little skeptical about Richardson as a passer. But uh, the offense, there's real questions, I think, with the run game and the offensive line play and the environment they're going to face with all those young guys. I think they need a, a, a big night uh, in terms of, like, one of those best-case scenario performances is they're a little shorthanded. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Well, we've we've had plenty of coverage during the week. We'll have more leading up to the game on Saturday. It's a seven o'clock start on ESPN. Be sure and look for all of John's coverage leading up to, during, and after the game. Uh, John, remind them how they can find you on Twitter. It's John Hale, J O N H A L E underscore H L. And be sure and check him out on Kentucky.com and in the print edition of the Herald Leader. And John, thanks as always for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks to Matt Hayes of Saturday Down South and John Hale of Kentucky.com. Great job previewing the Cats and Gators on Saturday. As we mentioned before, it's a 7 o'clock start on ESPN. We'll have plenty of coverage on Kentucky.com leading up to, during, and after the game. Look for my uh, Twitter updates during the game. Like I said, you can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV on Kentucky.com. On my sidelines blog, look for the live updates, which is a collection a dedicated collection of tweets about the game you can keep up with all the action there look for my three takeaways after the game look for john hale's coverage after the game look for mark's story is five things you need to know you can follow mark on twitter at mark c story so we'll we'll have a ton of coverage from gainesville about the kentucky florida game Uh, remember you can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. That really helps out. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. As I mentioned before, follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. Send me an email, jclay at herald-leader.com. Thanks to everybody for listening. We really appreciate everybody who listens and promotes the podcast. Uh, you know, We can't thank you enough for doing that. And th- I can't thank uh, my guests enough, Matt Hayes of Saturday Down South and John Hale of Kentucky.com. That'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.